When you look at the Bible, you read your Bible, you'll see that re- resurrection, this whole thing of somebody being raised from the dead. Now stop and think about what we're talking about. Raised from the dead. Somebody's dead, really dead. Casket dead. And they are raised back to life. Resurrection from the dead. That is the central theme of Christianity all through the New Testament. That's it. That's the core. That's the center. Without resurrection, there is no Christianity. Because if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then he would never have been validated. His teachings all would have gone by the wayside. Everything he said, everything he stood for would have died with him. When he rose from the dead, however, it validated everything about Jesus. It solidified who he was. It confirmed who he had always said that he was. And so here you have at the central core of Christianity, resurrection. Jesus has told his disciples several times in the Gospels, they're going to kill me one day, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Now, they didn't get it. They would look at him and hear him say that, and they didn't get what he was saying. They didn't really fully understand it until Pentecost. But Jesus said, I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to be a resurrected man. If you read the message of the disciples when they preached, the constant drumbeat of their preaching, the the, the mantra of the disciples was to preach on the resurrection from the dead. That's what got them whipped. That's what got them in trouble with the, the authorities. They didn't just preach that Jesus had lived and taught good things, but they preached that you killed him, but God raised him from the dead. He's resurrected. It says in Acts 4.33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, you look at history and man has always wondered about life after death. Is there anything past here. When I die, when my heart stops beating and I breathe my last, is that it? Do I just go back to the ground and, and that's it? There's no consciousness. There's nothing to look forward to. There's no hope. I just die and that's it. I'm done. Curtain closed. The end. My life is done. There's nothing more. Is that it? Or could it be that there is life after death? What's out there? What's beyond there? And boy, is it hotly debated today. One of the best-selling books in in the nation, and has been for months, it's called Heaven is for Real, about a little boy who died and says that he saw heaven. It has flown off the shelves. You can't keep it on the shelves. And now it's a major motion picture. Heaven is for Real. Everybody wants to know. I did a little Google search just on books about life after death, and 14 bestsellers on life after death popped onto the page just in a simple Google search. People wanting to know, is there life after here? Is there an eternity? Am I really an eternal person? Or am I just going to die? Which every atheist believes. When I die, that's it. Nothing more. So eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. But for the believer who knows Jesus Christ, this is not an issue Because our Savior, our Messiah, our Redeemer told us in no uncertain terms that there is a life after death. He said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, for in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would tell you the truth. But it is so. 
And I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. I'm going to take you to the place that I have built for you that where I am, you can be with me forevermore. Now that's the promise in John 14, 1 and 2. That's it. So Jesus clearly said there is another world, there's another dimension, there's something beyond the veil. There is a real spirit world where life goes on and on and on without end. There is an eternity. So for those of us who know the Lord, then we're not wondering about life after death. So let me talk to you about some of the things the Bible tells us about the reality of resurrection because we're all resurrected and going to be resurrected from the dead. You do know that. What a day that's going to be. First of all, what I want you to understand today as a believer in Christ is that resurrection life actually begins the moment you get saved. See, we, we, we tend to say, we tend to say, well, when I die, then I'm going to go into eternal life. No, here's the deal. You're already in eternal life. If you're a child of God, you've already been born again. You already have eternal life. It's not something that's coming. It's something that is already here. You are born again. Your spirit has been made alive. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now watch this. The Bible says that before we knew him, we were dead. We were walking around. We, 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 our heart beat. We talked. We raised kids. We changed flat tires. We had a job. We earned up a 401k. We had a life. But the Bible says we're like a lamp. Just picture a lamp here. And it's got a bulb in it. It's got a shade. And it's got a cord that is laying on the floor right next to a socket. But it's not plugged in. It has the potential to be plugged in, and it has the potential to light up, to come alive, and do what it was created to do. But until you take that cord and plug it in, it's dead. But when you plug it in, boom, it comes alive. It lights up. And here's what the Bible is telling us. Before we were saved, we were like this lamp, born to shine, born to experience the power of God, but we were un. And when we said, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins, the Holy Spirit came into us and we got plugged in and came alive. Came alive. You who were dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him. So here's the deal. Every believer in Jesus Christ is literally a resurrected man or woman. Now, I want you to do something. I had last night do this, and the early service did this, so let's just try this together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count to three, and I want you to say, I am a resurrected man if you're a man. I'm a resurrected woman if, I'm, if you're a woman. I want you to say it because I want you to make this confession because you are literally somebody who has been raised from the dead. So you get to preach a little bit today. Are you ready? One, two, three. I am a resurrected man. Amen. That felt so good. we got to try that one more time. Because I want you to know that when you wake up in the morning, you once were dead, but now you're alive. You once were blind, but now you see. 
You once were lost, but now you're found. You're a resurrected man or a resurrected woman. So let's say it together. One, two, three. I am a resurrected man. Amen. Now, the second truth about resurrection is this. At the moment of death, the Christian soul goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. And this has everything to do with the promise of resurrection. At the minute a Christian dies, there is no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. You don't just kind of go to sleep and then and you're dead asleep until Christ comes again and then you're made alive again. No. As soon as the believer's heart stops and they breathe their last, they immediately go into the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body, present instantly, immediately with the Lord. Stephen understood this. When Stephen was being stoned and he was about to be the first martyr of the Christian church, the Bible says that Stephen prayed a prayer. Watch this, Acts 7, 59. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. And what was his prayer? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What did he know? He knew that as soon as he died, his spirit was going in the presence of the Lord. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He knew. What what did he say to the thief on the cross? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. The minute that a Christian dies, Paul said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul said, man, I love you church folks. I love you and I'll stay here with you. But my my preference would be to go straight into his presence. He's, I can't wait to be in the presence of the one who died for me. I can't wait to be in the presence of the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. What a great promise. This is why when Christians die, we who belong to Christ, listen, we grieve in a qualitatively different way from unbelievers. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Now, my many, many years of pastoring, I'm going to tell you, I have presided over many funerals, most, thank God, of Christians. Because there is a huge difference between the Christian or or the, the funeral of a Christian and the funeral of somebody that didn't know God. The ones who don't know God, there's no hope. When when they lose that loved one, to them, there's either confusion about whether or not there's an afterlife. Or there is this sense of this is it. We're never going to see them again. It's all over. There is this ripping, this tearing. There is this sorrow that has no hope. And Paul said, for the believer, it's not the same. But mixed with our sorrow is the joyous hope of being reunited in heaven with those who have died in Jesus. Say, Jeff, you really believe that? Oh, I absolutely do, because I know that this is the word of the living God, and my Savior told me as much, and so does the rest of the Bible. Listen to this promise, 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul writes, and now, dear brothers, I want you to know what happens to a Christian when he dies, so that when it happens, you will not be full of sorrow as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and then came back to life again, we can also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him all the Christians who have died. The Bible says there's going to be a reunion. And we're going to see loved ones again. Now, some of you are going, oh, no, really? (laughs) I was kind of hoping that uh, it would end at death. 
Everybody will be redeemed. Everybody will have a glorified body. There will be no more flesh to hold grudges, to be bitter, to have unforgiveness. None of that. We will be glorified. We will have a glorified body just like Jesus who ate fish and then walked through a door that was closed. Now, last night when I preached this, I was attacked with questions afterwards. I said, oh, man, I'm going to have to make this more clear today. And so let me show you how this happens. Because people say, well, wait a minute. If, if when I die, my spirit immediately goes in the presence of the Lord, then what is this about my body that's down here in a grave? How can they be in, the, in two different places? I don't understand resurrection. Jesus is our pattern. Now, I want you to remember Jesus is on the cross. Here he is hanging on the cross. And when he's about to die, what did he say? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He said to the thief on the cross next to him, who believed on him. He said, verily I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I checked the Greek and today means today. Okay. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, wait a minute. If the thief is going to be with Jesus that very day in paradise, we know that Jesus died that day. His body was taken down and his body was laid in a tomb. So how can his body be in one place and his spirit in another? Ah, let me show you. Here is an old grungy work glove, and I'm paying a price to do this illustration today because this was handed to me by our yard people. Here we go. Now watch this. My hand represents my soul. Okay? My soul. The glove represents my body. As long as the soul is in the body, it animates the body. The only way you can be here today is your soul is still in your body. And so because my soul is in my body, it animates the body. So I am what we say alive. (sighs) Hallelujah. Okay? So as long as the soul is in the body... It's animated, it's alive, it walks, it talks, it lives, it breathes, the heart beats. But as soon as the body dies, here's what happens. The soul leaves the body and goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. The body is limp now because there's no soul in it. It's not animated anymore, and it goes into the ground. Jesus' spirit immediately went into the presence of the Lord. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Father. His body went into the tomb and lay there three days and nights. On the third day, the Holy Spirit entered that tomb. The same spirit that lives in you. The same spirit that lives in you went into that tomb. And that spirit has resurrection power. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of resurrection, and it lives in you. And that spirit touched the body of the Lord Jesus. At that moment, his spirit, his spirit that had gone in the presence of the Father, re-entered his body. He rose from the dead, a resurrected man. So it went back in. And Jesus got up from the dead walked out of the tomb, said, good morning, world, I'm risen again. Okay? 
the same thing will happen to you. The Bible says a great resurrection of our bodies is soon to come if you're a believer. Paul the Apostle was given a revelation concerning this approaching resurrection. Listen to what he said. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, that's talking about the dead bodies in Christ, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Look at these next two words, with them. Who's the them? It's your grandma, your granddad, your parents, your loved ones, whoever it was, your friends who have died in the Lord. They will be resurrected out of the tomb. And their spirits will reenter their bodies and they will be resurrected people with glorified bodies that curves or Elaine powers cannot give you. Resurrected bodies that will be just like the body of Jesus who could eat fish and walk through closed doors, who could think and he would be in a certain location just by thinking it. He was no longer limited by natural law. We will have glorified bodies and we will meet those in the clouds. It says, those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And what I'm telling you today is the, the doctrine of resurrection says the day is coming when every single soul that has put their faith in Christ is going to be resurrected from the dead. Can you imagine at that moment graveyards all over the world are going to be emptied of their occupants. And at that very moment, we're going to undergo some incredible changes in our bodies. First Corinthians 15 says we're going to be changed from corruptible to incorruptible, mortal to immortal, dishonor to honor, dead to alive, and natural to supernatural. That's the doctrine of resurrection. Now, when you talk about resurrection... The whole understanding of resurrection leads very naturally right into the warning of a coming judgment. Now, I'm only preaching the Word to you today. I'm sharing with you the Scriptures. It's that simple. And i got to tell you, folks, there is a judgment coming. It's the last foundation stone. If we don't understand the doctrine of judgment, then we need to get that planted in our soul because there is a judgment coming. Now, there have been three judgments Three judgments I'm going to quickly discuss. The first one is one that's already happened in the past. The second one is a present judgment. The third one is a future judgment. Let me talk about the past judgment. The past judgment has already happened at the cross. At the cross, there was a judgment of God. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and look at this, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now there Jesus is promising that those who put their faith in him will not come into judgment. Why won't we come into judgment? Because at the cross, sin has already been judged. Past tense. Jesus took our blame. Jesus took the rap, as it were, for us. What an incredible thing. The Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there was a divine exchange at the cross. Here's the exchange, and we came out the better for it. God took 
our sins. Isaiah 53 says he laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he took our sin, our transgression, our shortcomings, and somehow in a way that only God could do, God took it and laid it on Jesus, the sacrificed lamb, and he was judged for our sin. And then he took Jesus' righteousness and placed it on us and made us the righteousness of God in him. Amen. And two things happened on that cross. Satan was judged at the cross. Jesus told his disciples in John 12, 31, the time of judgment for the world has come and the time when Satan, the prince of this world, shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Now there Jesus is giving us the context. He's saying at the crucifixion, when I am lifted up, the prince of this world will be judged. And Satan was judged at the cross. And at the cross, he lost his house keys. He lost the key to death, the key to hell, and the key to the grave. So he doesn't even have the keys to his own house anymore. He lost them. Second thing that happened at the cross, I've already mentioned the cross or the sins of the believer were judged and put away. I love this verse, Colossians 2.14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Everything that Satan had against you and me, Jesus tore up the record. And we're free. There's no more condemnation to those that are in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Now that's the past judgment at the cross. Present judgment is this simple. It's very simple. It is when we must judge our own sin so we don't come into the the chastening of the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now let me just put it real simply. Keep short accounts with God. Because if we judge ourselves, you know, you're walk, walking along, cooking along, and you do something, say something, think something, and the Holy Ghost says, Ugh, you just sinned. Now, we can either ignore that or immediately go into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, I just sinned, and I'm judging myself. I am judging that what I did was sin. Please forgive me. And we First John 1, 9 it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And when we do that, we have just judged ourselves. So it's a present, ongoing accountability to God. Pastor Jeff, how often do you repent? Oh, every day of something. I wish I could say I'm perfect, but I'm not. Is anybody in here perfect yet? I want to meet you. We need to repent every day, don't we? So we keep short accounts with God. So that's the present judgment. And now there are two future judgments. The first one I'm going to cover quickly, and the second one I'm going to home in on. Two judgments are yet to occur. This is the doctrine of judgment. The first one is the judgment seat of Christ. You read about it in 1 Corinthians 3. And the judgment seat of Christ is where our works are judged, not our sin, because our sin has been covered. Because of Christ, we will never answer for our sin. He has torn up the charges against us. But how we lived out our Christian life, 
whether or not we did the will of God, whether or not we bore fruit, whether or not we witnessed and let our light shine and glorified God on earth, whether or not we did those things is going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ where we will receive either a reward or a lack of one. The Bible says that your works don't save you, but they do attest to the fact that you have been saved. James said, you say you've got faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. So every believer is saved by grace and grace alone. But if you are saved, I guarantee it's going to change your nature and you're going to end up in good works that glorify God. Now, those, those works or lack of them are called diamonds or, or precious stones, gold and silver. If we have works that glorify God, it's gold, silver, and precious stones. If we have works and we lived a carnal Christian life and didn't really glorify God, then our works are called wood, hay, and stubble. And it says fire will test whether or not we produced gold, silver, precious stones kind of works or wood, hay, and stubble kind of works. And if our works are burned up, we are saved yet by the skin of our chinny-chin-chin. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Now I come to the last judgment, the judgment that is going to come as surely as you're sitting in this chair, in your chair, this judgment is coming. The Bible clearly teaches that all men are one day going to face judgment. Now this isn't a popular message. Tell me when the last time was you heard a message on judgment, and isn't that a shame because our whole world is rushing headlong into judgment. The first thing about this judgment called the great white throne judgment is that Jesus is going to be the judge at the great white throne judgment. Jesus said in John 5, 22, even the father judges no one for he has given all judgment, the last judgment and the whole business of judging entirely into the hands of the son. So Jesus will be the judge at the great white throne judgment. This is the future judgment awaiting every person who has not trusted Christ as his personal Savior. Every Christ rejecter will be at this judgment. It is that terrible moment that Jesus talked about and told us plainly what he would say at this judgment. Depart from me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. This judgment breaks my heart. What I'm about to read to you, are the most somber, sobering, heartbreaking, jaw-dropping words in the entire Bible. The scene of this judgment is vividly described by John in Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. Listen carefully the way he describes this judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Those who had died in the sea died in the ocean. The sea spewed up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. That means every person who has lived and died Every man, woman, and child beyond the age of accountability is involved in this judgment and is brought before the face of Jesus Christ. 
And it says they were judged, each according to his works. That means the sins they committed have not been covered by the blood. So the charges that were ripped up by Jesus on our behalf, they have to answer for. So it says they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't know of more sobering words than that. And Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says that every believer ought to understand this. This is a foundation stone, that there is an approaching judgment for the whole world. It's going to happen. As certainly as we're here today, it's going to happen. It's coming. And they will go into the lake of fire. There's nothing, no one, no thing in the lake of fire right now. It's waiting for the great white throne judgment. These passages that I just read ought to spawn in us a great burden for all the lost. Because it tells us in no uncertain terms, if you are a Christ rejecter, and I thank God that it just tells us the absolute truth. It doesn't mince words. It doesn't say, well, you know, pick the God of your choice. It doesn't really matter. As long as you are sincere, it doesn't really matter. You know, be a Buddhist, be a Hindu, be a Muslim, whatever you want to be. It doesn't really matter. As long as you're sincere, God sees your heart. That's not true. That's not true. The awful fate of the lost is described in the Bible as follows. They are said to die in their sins. Jesus said these words, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins with your sins uncovered. Their judgment is described as everlasting destruction. Listen to these words out of the same Bible that got you saved. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? He didn't say those who aren't sincere. He said those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is in total alignment with what Jesus himself said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. This is why we preach Christ without apology. This is why I stand up here week after week and tell you that there is no other way but the blood of the Lamb. I tell you, it doesn't matter how well-meaning you are. It doesn't matter the way you view yourself. We all must come to that cross, that blood-soaked cross, and allow the blood of Christ to cover our sins. Then and only then are the charges against us ripped and thrown away. The punishment of the lost is described as a place of fire. Jesus himself described hell as a place of of fiery torment. He said, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The punishment of the wicked is described as a place of darkness. The unbelieving are, quote, according to Jesus, cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the great white throne judgment. This is the last foundation stone. This is coming to all people. That's why our church preaches Christ and Him crucified, preach the cross. This fall, we're going to have a huge outreach for the lost. We're going to go for the lost. 
Uh, we're going to plan on it eight to ten weeks out, and we're going to believe God to save that spouse of yours, that child of yours, that parent of yours, that coworker, that friend, that neighbor. We're going to believe God to break through and convict people of sin and draw them to that bloody cross where Jesus gave his innocent blood to cover our sins. This is resurrection and judgment. Can we stand together? Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Jeff, that's a really sobering word. Absolutely. It's how your Bible ends. Let me ask you a question before we pray. How many of you know somebody lost? Let me ask this question. How many in here don't know anybody lost? Okay, then we all know somebody lost. How many of you believe God answers prayer? Here's prayer and answers it when it comes to praying for the lost. Having read what I read, isn't it just too much to even think that anyone would experience what I just read? Out of your Bible, my Bible. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to target people by faith. We're going to target them by faith. And we're going to pray for them. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hands up a little bit towards the Lord. And I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, and we're going to name that lost person. And we're going to begin to target them by faith. I've got somebody in my mind. So let me lead you. Lord, I just thank you right now that If we pray according to the will of God, you hear us. And if we know you heard us, we know we have the petitions we've requested of you. And Lord, we know that you hear a prayer for the lost. We are not willing that any would perish. And so, Lord, right now, I bring to you, now you fill in the blank and name their name to God. Say, I bring to you, I bring to you, name them to God. Say, now, Lord, I'm trusting you to convict them of their sin, to put a hedge of thorns around them that they can no longer enjoy their sin. And then the next few weeks and months, you're going to begin to draw them home to salvation in your name. And Lord, I'm going to target them by my faith and lift their names up to you. You know, I just so sense that we're going to see the glory of God. I'm hearing the words of Jesus. Did I not say unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Let's believe God for it. If you believe he heard that, would you give him a hand of praise today? Thank you.